Uh, we're going to continue to study together, and, and uh, before we do that, let's just pray. Let's stand and let's pray and ask that God would meet with us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, fellowship of brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for the common vision, the common heart that's in this room. Thank you, Lord, that you're our Lord, that you're our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving our souls. We each, we each have that testimony. Uh, some, for some, it's very dramatic. For others, it was a lot more straightforward. But God, we're so grateful for saving our souls. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your cross and resurrection. And God, Father, thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for calling us and giving us the privilege, not just of being children of God, but being leaders in this great thing called the church. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would lead us just now as we continue in this session. Holy Spirit, be among us. I pray, give us understanding, give us revelation. Help us to hear, help me to speak. We welcome you, God. This is all for your glory. We want to lead better for your glory. Uh, we give you everything we've talked about thus far. We pray that we would be churches and leaders who make disciples and plant churches. And Lord God, we would have that faith that God's going to do this, that he's the one who's going to cause the barren to be fruitful. We trust you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah, please grab your seats. <clears throat> okay, so let, let we're going to start with a quiz just to, just to get us going, just to break the ice after lunch. All right, so I'm going, to show you, uh, I'm going to show you a logo, and you're going to tell me the product, okay? So I'm going to show you a logo, and you're going to tell me the product. Okay, so let's go. First one. What's the, what? Oh, no, that's, I, know, I know it's Starbucks. What's the product? Coffee, okay. Go. What's the product? Now, how do you know that? You're Christians. Okay, so, okay, okay. So the ne next one. Cars, okay. Next one. Computer, the best computers, yeah, 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 okay. Next one. Chocolate. Chocolate. Focus, come back, come back. Okay, okay ne next one. What's the product? Uh, come on. This is one we need to know about. What, what, what is our product? What are we here to produce? I'm hearing some good answers over here to my left. Yeah, disciples. The West Lothian folks are the only ones who get it. And this is... Okay, so Jesus said, this is Matthew 26, 28, um, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Praise God, the Great Commission. This is what we've been asked to do. This is what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And the idea is that Jesus had made disciples, now he's telling disciples to make disciples. And it's a multiplication agenda. So it's multiply everything. The churches, churches should plant churches. The believers should help others to become believers. The small groups should plant small groups. The preachers should raise up other preachers. I mean, it's in life, isn't it, that things that are alive reproduce. And the idea is that if there's life in a church, it should reproduce other... I mean, God knows it's not just good if you guys planted churches. Scotland really needs you to plant churches because things that are alive, we need to have more of those things that are alive. Wouldn't it be great to have more of these churches around our nation? I think it would be. I think it would be essential around the city, around your cities, around your towns, around your regions. We need to have a multiplication. So it's about disciples making disciples, small group leaders making more small group leaders. It's about preachers raising up other preachers, pastors raising up other, equipping the saints to the work of ministry, raising up other pastors, about churches planting churches, and about church families planting church families. So it's, it's reproduce everything. That's, that's the agenda here. Now, notice Jesus starts by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, that's, that's remarkable, and it's a great, I mean, what a statement. Now, in one sense, there's no new news there, because uh, all authority in heaven had all, always been his. But what he did as a man fully man, fully God, what he did as a man is he won back authority for mankind because that's what Adam and Eve gave up when they bowed the knee to Satan. And in effect, they, they gave the keys of earth to Satan. The Bible says in the Psalms that the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of man. And then, but when we bowed the knee to Satan in the temptation, in effect, we, we handed it over to Satan. And that's why Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, Satan showed him the kingdoms of the earth and their glory and says, you can have them because they have been handed over to me. 
And he wasn't bluffing. It wouldn't have been a temptation if he was bluffing. But Satan tempted Jesus, and uh, Jesus resisted the temptation because he knew, I'm going to get them. It's just I'm not going to get them through bowing the knee to you. I'm going to get them instead through a cross and a resurrection. And I'm going to legitimately, on behalf of mankind, win back authority for mankind. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven, that's not new news. But on earth, as a man on behalf of mankind, and we reign in Christ, and in Christ we have this authority, that Jesus has full authority in heaven and on earth. You know, to be honest, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, quite frankly, he could have said anything, and it would have worked. Right? I mean, the one who said, Lazarus, come forth, and it happens. Right? Whatever he says next, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, whatever comes next is going to succeed. Because the one with all authority in heaven and earth has decreed it to be so. And so, and notice he has full authority on earth. That means there's no no-go areas. The one who has full authority on earth has commissioned you into the earth that he's got full authority over. So, there might be some countries that say, no, no, you can't talk about Jesus here. Or some schools that say, no, no, you can't talk about Jesus here. Or workplaces, oh, you can't talk about Jesus here. Well, all, with all due respect, government of Iran and head teacher over the high school and boss in that company, with all due respect, the one who has full authority, even over your territory, has commissioned me to go into that territory. So there's no street you can't stand on. There's no door you can't knock. There's no person you can't speak to. Because the one with all authority in heaven and on earth has commissioned you to go into his earth and with respect win people to Jesus. So you've got full permission from the one with all authority to go into his territory. And, um, and then he goes on and says, therefore go and make disciples. So the question is, how do you do that? So got two halves to the message and I'm going to throw out quite a lot of bits of information for us all. So I hope you can, hope you can track with me. So the first question I want to ask is, before we look at how to make disciples, the first question is, well, what is a disciple? So let's, let's go to what it says in the Gospels, Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Say with me, follow me, follow me. and I will make you, you. fishes of, of men. So number one, what does it mean to be a disciple? Number one, it means to follow him. In fact, that's what the word disciple means. It's matetus, which means a follower or a learner. So someone who's a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a person who is following Jesus. So you're trying to find what is a disciple? Answer number one is a disciple is a person who is following Jesus. Follow me, Jesus says. Now, some people think they're following Jesus, but actually what they've done is they've invited Jesus to follow them. They want, Jesus, I'd like you in my life. Could you could you bless this area and could you, you know, could you uh, serve my decisions and, and help, me, help me to do well in this area? But no, no, he's called us to not fulfill, have him fulfill our whims, but rather we're to follow him and do his will. A true believer, a Christian, is a disciple. There's no such thing as, oh, you've got Christians and you've got disciples. No, you can't be a Christian without being a disciple. <clears throat> Following Jesus is what it takes. Now, we, we, we believe in grace. We believe you're saved by faith in Jesus, and it's his grace that saves you. Uh, but true faith isn't... How, how do I say this? Okay, let's, when you go to Acts, there are points when the gospel's preached, and people say something like, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts 2, Paul says... Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness. And, but he starts with repent. A little bit later on in Acts, when the Philippian jailer has that dramatic experience and the jail doors are opened and the jailer comes running in and falls before them and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe. What about repent? You know, because Peter in Acts 2 said to the same question, repent. And a little bit later, uh, he says, believe. And by the way, if you go through Acts, they flip between the two all the time. You know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, what would hinder me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart. Okay, believe. And then in other places it says repent and believe. So what is it? Is it repent or believe? Or is it that our understanding of believe has become so lightweight that we think there's a difference? But actually, in the New Testament, repent and believe were so aligned. 
that if you're going to believe in him who is Lord and died and rose again for your sins, of course you're going to repent. I mean, it would be weird not to. So the, the believe and repent is just like so closely synced. It was so clear and so close in the New Testament that sometimes they said repent, but they knew that it totally was about changing your mind about God and believing. And at other times, all they needed to say was believe because they totally knew it wasn't easy believism. It was like, this is going to change your life. You're, totally, you're putting your faith in one who is Lord and you're repenting of your sins. I mean, it's just the most natural thing. So follow me. You can't be a Christian without being a disciple. There wasn't two different categories. So you've got the Christians, but oh, you've got the disciples. No, no. We're all disciples. We're all followers of Jesus. And then it says, follow me. And then point number two is, I will make you. A disciple is a person who is being changed by Jesus. Jesus is making you into something. It's a journey. I mean, it says in Romans 8, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That when you, a disciple is someone whose life is changing. Someone once said that God loves you so much that he accepts you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. That God is in the process of changing us. We call it sanctification. One of the evidence of your justification is your present sanctification, that God's got you on a journey. We're not perfect, but God's changing us, and the Holy Spirit's at work in this, and it's one of the fruits of a truly saved person is that God's at work in their souls. And so a disciple, number one, is someone who's following Jesus. Number two, I will make you. Jesus is changing us. He's changing our lives, sanctifying us. And then number three, fishes of people. A disciple is a person who is committed to the mission of Jesus to make other disciples. So a disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. Number two, a disciple is someone who's been changed by Jesus. And then number three, a disciple is someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. So, so that, that's, the first, that's the first question. Well, what is a disciple? That's, that's my attempt at answering that. I'm sure you guys could add bits into that as well. But that's, that's, our, that's kind of roughly what we probably, if we, if we were interviewed, we'd probably all say something along these lines. That's what it means to be a disciple. Next question is, so how do you make disciples? Because Jesus told us to go and make disciples. So I've got four kind of main points to make here. Uh, and they all begin with G. So number one, and by the way, if you'd like to read some good stuff on this, Steve Murrell has written a book called Wiki Church. And some of the points I'm going to share with you are linked to what he teaches in his book, Wiki Church. Fantastic book on how to make disciples. Number one gospel. So how do you make disciples? Gospel. Share the gospel. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you were to interview people in churches, what is discipleship? You get many different answers. How do you make disciples? You get many different answers. Typically, people in Christian circles, they think that making disciples is about finding Christians and making them into better Christians. It's like a members-only experience. Now, see, when Jesus said this to the disciples, imagine, right? Jesus had just died on the cross and risen again, and the disciples, there's, there's, you know, there's a good, good crowd of them, and they're watching Jesus is about to ascend back to the Father, and he's saying, now, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I don't think they were thinking... He's asking us to find some Christians and make them into better Christians. <laughs> I mean, he wants to find some believers and make them into better believers. There were none, right? They were, they were it. There were no Christians. There were pagans, there was Romans, there was Jews, there was idol worshippers, right? But there weren't any other Christians. So when Jesus said, go make disciples, they, they had no definition that would sound like finding some Christians and making them into better Christians, okay? They understood no way. He's asking us to go into the remotest parts, to Romans, to pagans, to agnostics, to all sorts of people who do not believe with what we believe, and introduce them to Jesus, and then take them on a journey, which would include helping Christians become better Christians. But it starts on the coalface of evangelism. The point is this, that the starting point of discipleship is evangelism. Hugely important. Steve Murrell, in the book I mentioned, uh, Wiki Church, he said this, if you try and separate the Siamese twins of evangelism and discipleship, you will effectively kill them both. That you have to have both. The starting point of discipleship is evangelism. And the disciples knew that. They said, go and make disciples. They knew. 
all right? You're asking us to go into that world and introduce people to Jesus. So the biblical starting point of discipleship is evangelism. It's interesting, this is what Jesus had modeled to them. In the Gospels, there is record of 132 times where Jesus had interactions with people. Six of them were in temples, or sorry, in the temple. Four of them were in synagogues. 122 of them were on streets, under trees, beside wells, at parties, in people's houses. Okay, I mean, this is Jesus. So he did most of his work not in the temple or in synagogues, but where the people were. He knew that to reach people, he didn't expect them to jump into his world. So he radically jumped into their world, not just in the incarnation, but as God in the flesh, he continued to jump into their world by associating with people who were unreligious or had fallen away from their religion or were not living by their religion. And he was introducing people to himself. Incredible. He understood that holiness was separation from sin, not separation from sinners. So he hung out with the drunkards, but he never got drunk. He hung out with the corrupt tax officials, but he never compromised in his own tax affairs. He hung out with prostitutes, and yet he never compromised at all in his own morality. And so he had this incredible passion for people, and he was willing to go where most religious people would never go. And today, by his spirit, so Jesus was, he was accused of being friend of sinners. But what will happen is as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we, this is the Spirit of Christ. We will have in us this same agenda, this friend of sinners agenda, the one who's the friend of sinners now lives in us. And so there will be within you a desire to associate with and love and connect with people who don't know Jesus. So, so how do you do that? How do you do that evangelism thing? I know I really admire Guy and, and his passion for evangelism. And there'll be others in the room who are also very passionate. And actually to get around people who are evangelistic and let that strength rub off on you. One of the callings of evangelists is not just to do evangelism, but it's to equip the saints to the work of ministry. So allow that provocation to impact you. Let's be people like Jesus who start engaging with unchurched people. So, so how, how do you do evangelism? Well, let, let me give you three things that I've found helpful. And I got these three from J. John. So I've got the, the entire sermon from Steve Murrell, and I've got this part of the sermon from J. John. All right. So really, I'm just making this up based on other people's sermons. So J. John years ago did a message entitled Pray, Care, Share. And for me, it's, it's just such a simple formula for how to share the gospel with non-Christians. So you can write those three words down, pray, care, share. And so these are the three things you can do. First of all, you can pray. Do you pray for non-Christians? So Jesus has called us to go make disciples of all the world. So do you pray for non-Christians? I mean, pray with a bit of an ache. Do you pray for non-Christians? Does it it stir you a bit? Um, Often before I preach on a Sunday, I'll have an ache in my heart. And it's not just for God help me to preach well in the church. It's, God, would you save someone today? Would you save someone at church today? Please, God, would you save a soul today? And often if I'm traveling, my prayer will be, God, would you let me meet someone in the plane? Or or please, God, when I'm going on this journey, please, could I have the opportunity to tell them about you? Or if I'm with a family member who's not a Christian, I'll say, please, God, give me an opportunity to tell them about you. So pray for people who don't know Jesus. You can even have a list of people, friends, family members, work colleagues. You know, have a few of them. Pray for them every day. Pray for God's saving power in their lives. Pray, pray. Pray for opportunities to share. The Apostle Paul often asked churches, pray that God will give me opportunity for the gospel. Tell God about your neighbors before you tell your neighbors about God. Pray often. Pray for them. God, give me opportunity. Lord, I want to reach that person with you. I, I, I did this in the gym for a while with a guy uh, who would, yeah, I, just, I just kept seeing him at the gym. And he's even an older guy. Uh, he, I guess he was there every day because so, every time I was there, he was there. And I, I just, I remember he just stood out and I just remember praying for him. God, I pray I'd get an opportunity to tell him about Jesus. And it wasn't long after that that we were on a piece of equipment beside each other and we got into a gospel conversation. Got into a gospel conversation, became great friends. In fact, he made quite a big donation to the work we were doing with the homeless in the city. So it, it just uh, the gospel opportunity came, but as, as I was praying, he hasn't become a Christian yet, but pray, 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 pray. Number two, care. Care, really important. And you think, well, how has this got anything to do with the gospel? Well, sometimes it, it really does. I mean, 
I, I remember years ago when we just started the church and I was staying at Haymarket, we had a little parking space outside our house and I was, it was a Saturday afternoon and I was cleaning my car. And around the corner, around the the block of houses, this Indian couple appeared and they were heavy laden. They had rucksacks and suitcases and they were just heavily laden with all this stuff. So I saw them and I put my sponge in the bucket and I went over to them and said, oh, can I help you with your suitcases? And they were so grateful, oh, thank you. And so I picked up the suitcases and I said, where are you going? And they pointed at number four. That, that's the block I live in, so block four. I said, oh, we'll be neighbors. And they said, oh, thank you, this is so nice. He said, we've been in the UK for two weeks and this is the first time someone has shown his kindness. So, so I, I carried their suitcases up, upstairs, top floor, and um, they were so grateful. And I said, oh, we live two floors below you. And I said, listen, once we've settled in, we would love to have you and your wife over for a curry. And I said, well, I would love to come over for a curry. So we went round, this is like a, like a few weeks later, and we went round for a curry. And now to this day, I have to say, that was the hottest curry. <laughs> like by a country mile, it's the hottest curry I've ever tasted in my life. Incredible. And, and I experienced that curry for several days. <laughs> it was an amazing curry, you know. And, um, but in, during the course of that meal, we, they, they asked, so what do you do? I said, well, I, my wife's a teacher and I work in an architect's office, um, but, but we've started a church. And they said, oh, could we come to your church? I said, I'd love you to come to my church. So that Sunday evening, by this time it moved out of my flat, it moved into Tollcross Primary. And we had a Sunday evening service. That Sunday evening, there was about 20 people in the room, and then they came and they sat in the back row. And at the end of the message, I gave an, uh, an altar call. I, I often do that. I gave an altar call if anyone was there who wanted to accept Jesus as saviour. And the lady, Sheshi, she put her hand up and she prayed the prayer. She gave her life to Jesus. And afterwards I was talking to her and she said, when I raised my hand and I prayed that prayer, she said it was like electricity flowing through my body. She had a physical experience. I know not everyone gets that. Some people it's just a prayer they pray and they know it's special. Other people, they have a physical experience. And she had this physical, tangible Holy Spirit experience. And, and they, they were only in Edinburgh for a short time. He had a management post. He was seconded across for a while. And, and they're back in India now. But from that day forward, they said, Jesus is the true God. You know, we'd narrowed down their options from the thousands of gods they'd worshipped, from the Hindu background to the one true God. And how did that happen? I mean, I carried their suitcases. That was it. You know, you could do that. So it, all of a sudden, it lowers the bar in evangelism. We can do that. It was just... You just concern for people, and you pray, and you care. Now, sometimes care can express itself in supernatural ways. So I could, I could physically carry their suitcases, so I could actually do that. There are other times where what they need, you can't do, but God could. Okay, so, but you still feel, oh, you have compassion. Isn't it interesting that often the miracles in Jesus' life and ministry came in the back of he was moved with compassion? So it's the desire, I want to care for you, but I can't do anything about your situation. So my dad, uh, dad passed away a few years ago, but when he was in his 90s, um, we decided dad had needed to go for a hearing test. Uh, to be honest, he probably should have gone for a hearing test a couple of decades earlier. <laughs> we really think you should go for a hearing test, dad. You know, what was that, son? Uh, so we, eventually we got him to go along and we went to Boots at the Guile and we went for the hearing test there. And... It's a really nice guy, a guy called Peter, actually, who works there, and he looks like Michael Caine. So if you ever go in for your hearing test in the guile, you'll see a guy who looks like Michael Caine. He's like, this is the guy. This is the same guy. And so we took him in for the hearing test, and lovely guy. He took a real interest in Dad. And, um, and then he asked about myself, and I said, oh, I, I lead a church, and he found that interesting as well. He had his hearing test. Dad definitely needed hearing aids, so he got his hearing aids prescribed. And a few weeks later or maybe a month later, we went back for, to get his hearing aids put in. And when we were there that time, the guy asked me, he said, Do you, is there anyone, you said last time you lead a church, is there anyone in your church who'd want to buy some guitars? I've got a collection of guitars um, that I'm selling. Because he, he understood that all Christians play guitar. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a common known fact. So he thought, well, he's going to know some Christians who want a guitar. So, who, how many of you play guitar? Yeah, virtually all of you. See, look at that, see? <laughs> so, so he said, do, do you know anyone who wants to buy a guitar? And he has a good collection, some Gibsons and different things like this. 
So I asked them, so why are you selling your collection of guitars? And he said, oh, I've got carpal tunnel syndrome in, in both hands and wrists. I've got all this numbness and pain. I can't play guitar anymore. Um, and so I said, well, could my dad and I pray for you and ask Jesus to heal you? I said, well, okay, that'd be great. So in there, in, his, in, his, in the guile, in his little testing room, we held hands and we prayed over this guy and asked that Jesus would heal his hands. So that was that. Dad got his hearing aids. Three months later, he went back for his wee adjustment check, you know, they checked the levels and so on. And he said, by the way, I haven't had any pain in my hands and wrists since you prayed. I've been completely living playing my guitar again. So the deal's off. No more, no, it's not selling the guitar. Completely healed. And actually, he said, I've been telling lots of people about your church. And I thought, wow, that's, why don't you come? He didn't, he didn't come, but he kept telling lots of people about our church. <laughs> but pray care. And sometimes care is doing something you couldn't do. So care might be picking up someone's suitcases. It might just be demonstrating, you know, just demonstrating the love of God. Sometimes it could be something supernatural where the Holy Spirit leads you to see something breakthrough in their life. So pray, care, and point number three, share. There comes a point. This is where evangelism comes in. Up to this point, you haven't done any evangelism. All right? You've just prepared the way. It's like you've broken open the soil. And instead of it being hard soil, now it's soft soil because you've prayed and they've experienced a bit of love. And it's not that you don't share the gospel with people you've had no contact. It's like you haven't had a chance to care for them, so I can't share the gospel. No, no. Just every time you can, look for every opportunity to care, and every time you can, look for every opportunity to share. But all I do know is that caring for people does break open the soil. So now you're ready to plant the seed. And this is called evangelism. And this is amazing. What is, what is the seed? Well, the seed can be your testimony. Your testimony doesn't need to be dramatic for it to be real. People know when they're hearing reality. If you're telling someone this is what Jesus means to you and this is what he didn't, they can't argue with that. You know, you, you're, you have a testimony. And, you know, in a culture where people don't typically talk about such things, that will stand out. Big style. Share. But also, this is the biggie. Share the gospel. The gospel is, well, I, I, if I was to ask you, what is the gospel? What is it? In fact, turn to your neighbor. Just in a, imagine in a sentence, right? Think, think about this. If you're going to sum up the gospel, I'll give you two sentences. Two sentences. What is the gospel? Bear in mind, Paul says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's like a seed, which if it lands, it will save that person's soul. All right? So without missing anything out, all right? Because they won't get saved if you miss something out. Okay? Okay. No pressure here, right? What is that, the gospel? Don't try and be fancy. Don't overthink it. Just what is the gospel? Turn to your neighbor. Two sentences. I'll give you two. Give it, give it your best shot. Don't worry. You won't, be, you won't be judging it. I won't get you to read out your answers. It's all going quiet. So, how many of you got saved? <laughs> so, what is the gospel? I mean, do you know, it's, it's got to, when you're saying something, it's got to say something about the cross. You know, the word gospel actually means good news. Um, so, I, 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 would, I would say kind of like this, okay, it's good news, bad news, good news, you choose. It's something like that. So, good news, you're created by God. You're not an accident. There is, you're a very special person. You're valued. You're, you're being, there is a creator, and you've been created by God. 
you've got to start there. Paul didn't need to start there in the synagogues because they knew that. He would just start with the, the bad news. <laughs> but we get to start with the good news because the world doesn't know that there is a God. So there is a God and you've been created and you're very special. But the bad news is that there is a problem with us and God. And it's called sin. We're sinners. And that is death spiritually. I mean, it's just, it's just disconnection from God and, and, it's, and it's, it's eternal. But the good news is that God did something about that. And this is where, this is the power of the gospel. Jesus died in your place on a cross, taking your sin upon himself so that by trusting in Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. You reconnect with God. And on the third day, he rose again. And then you choose. So it's good to make it pertinent, not just leave them but actually let them know, actually, you, you, the ball's in your court. Put your trust in him. Turn your life over to him. And you know, there's no easy way of saying that at all. It's a bit clunky, isn't it? Yeah, secular friends in Edinburgh, you are a sinner. And Jesus, who wasn't a sinner, died in your place on a cross. And he took your sin. And by trusting him, your sins can be forgiven. And he rose again on the third day. I mean, what a strange sequence of events. And we're so familiar with it. You wonder how that sounds to someone who doesn't know these things. And I don't know about you, but every time I say those things to someone, I always go away thinking, oh, I should have said it like this. Right? Or, oh, if, if we'd only, oh, I could have remembered that cool story. That would have helped. Anyone else go away from a gospel conversation thinking, oh, I should have said it like that? Everyone, right? Good news for you folks. It's nothing to do with the skill of the farmer. Okay? The power is in the seed. It, it is really clunky. It is really clunky. There's no easy way of saying this to you. It's really clunky. And I'm going to say it, and it's, it might sound so obscure, but there's something in what I'm going to say to you just now that has so much power. And if you believe it, and, and here's the great news. As you're saying it, something's going on in the soul. There's a testifying taking place, the Holy Spirit saying, they're absolutely right. Listen to what he's saying. That's true. It's like a resonate. It's like, oh yeah, this is, this is true. And they'll know, they might not know it here, but they'll totally know it here. The Holy Spirit will be convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And be shining that light brightly on Jesus, saying this is absolutely true. And they will be experiencing spiritually a lifeline coming to them when you're saying those sequence of events. And you might say it clunkily. You might not, it might not be very unslick in the way you say it. It might be awkward in the way you say it. You might kind of have an awkward silence after it. But I'm telling you, you put that seed in, that seed has power, huge power. That's, that alone will save their soul. Not because they came to a cool event, not because um, they heard a cool speaker. It's that seed has absolute power to save a soul. And so just tell people that bit of information often. I'm reminded of in, in ancient Rome, there was a bit of, in fact, it was recently discovered in an archaeological finds in Palatine Hill in, in Rome. There was this bit of graffiti that had been carved into a plaster wall, and the graffiti was of a crucified man with the head of a donkey. And, under, and it had a picture of a man bowing before this cross. And it says in, in the inscription, a man worships his God. And it was, it was Romans mocking Christians. For, for Romans, the idea that a God would become a man and die because their gods were heroic gods. It was the most ludicrous thing that God would become a man. I mean, for God, the creator, to become a man and then die on a cross on behalf of human beings that you could be saved. I mean, either that's the most ludicrous news you've ever heard or it's the most glorious, wonderful news you've ever imagined. And it speaks of a love beyond any love you've ever experienced and a radical solution beyond any radical solution you and I would have ever dreamt of coming up with. And so that, that's, the, that's, that's the gospel we're talking about. It will split the crowd. You know, splitting the crowd doesn't mean you've been a bad communicator. Someone rejecting it doesn't mean you... It might be actually you're a very good communicator, that they got it. <laughs> you know, being, being a good communicator doesn't mean that everyone will say, oh, yeah, we agree. Being a good communicator might be that tons of people disagree with you, and then there's a number who say absolutely yes. But just get that gospel seed out. Just sow that seed. It has power. I remember Patrick Dixon years ago. He told the story of... Anyone heard of Patrick Dixon? 
So he, he runs a, a charity called Asset, where in Eastern Europe, uh, back in the 90s, when people were suffering with AIDS, Asset came along and provided hospices where people could be supported who had AIDS. And back in those days, if you didn't get the support, you would, your immune system would be vulnerable and you wouldn't live long. And anyway, he would travel around the different hospices. And in one particular hospice, he became good friends with a guy who'd come from a Buddhist background. He didn't believe in God, and he'd come from a homosexual background as well. And Patrick became a good friend of this guy. And on often in conversations, they had a few debates, and Patrick got the opportunity to tell him about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and his saving power. Told him the gospel. The guy wasn't interested, but they were good friends, and they, they would have good conversations. And Patrick would pass through every so often and visit his friend. He heard the news one day that his friend had moved away from the hospice, and they didn't know where he'd gone. Now, Patrick knew that the guy's going to be really vulnerable because without this type of ongoing medication, his immune system would be weak. He might have, get some infection, and he would have no resilience, and it wouldn't be, he wouldn't live long. And he assumed months later, he hadn't heard anything. He assumed maybe, maybe he's passed away, and he's very sad by that. Anyway, out of the blue, Patrick got a phone call, and it's this guy, his friend. I said, Patrick, I needed to phone you to tell you what happened. He said, I moved away from the hospice to visit my mum in another region. When I was there, I contracted an illness. And because of my immune system, I ended up being very, very ill, and I had to be rushed into a local health clinic. And I was, I was on a bed in this local health clinic, and to be honest, I was fading in and out of consciousness, and I was dying. And he said, I, I, it was like I was in this limbo, subconscious state between life and death. And he said, in that moment, I became aware of the presence of God, the God I didn't believe in. I became aware in that moment of the presence of God. This is what he said. And flashing into my mind came phrases that you had said about Jesus. And in that moment, I cried out to God to save me based on what Jesus had done on the cross. And I revived. I woke up. And the first thing out of my mouth was, um, could, could I get a Bible? He asked the nurse, can I get a Bible? So Patrick, I'm phoning to tell you, I've become a follower of Jesus. Now, a few, a few weeks after that, he actually passed away. Now, he, Patrick got to hear that story. And my question is, how many times do you not get to hear that story? But that story actually happens? That's a big point. How many times do you, 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 you wonder, did they ever get saved? Did they ever get saved? I mean, who knows? God knows. But you don't hear that story often. But Patrick got to hear the story of actually, you know, the, the seed has power. It's like ancient seeds found in, in Judea. Ancient date palms, Judean date palms, were found in the, in the, in the excavation of Masada, found these 2,000-year-old date palm seeds, and actually planted them and they germinated into date palms uh, down near Jericho in, 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 in the Jordan Valley there. You can go and see it today. 2,000-year-old seed germinate. The seed can sit there dormant for years or decades, but then all of a sudden, based on the right set of conditions, thank God the seed was there. So all I know is just often as you can, just sow that seed. Just sow the seed. Tell people. When I worked in the architect's office years ago, um, I got many opportunities actually to tell people about Jesus. And I tried to do it. You're going to work with these people week in, week out, so you, you don't, you, you don't go hardcore on them every day, or you're going to be the guy that everyone avoids in the office, right? So, so, but, you, but you also don't miss out on the opportunities, uh, and you do it with a smile, and you also got to, I always know when to stop. You know, as soon as you feel any resistance, I, I change the subject to make it, I don't wait for them to change the subject, I change the subject quickly. Uh, so so, so I, I, Jesus didn't keep going any time he felt resistance, he just, he backed off, so did Paul. He, Paul would walk out of the synagogue. Any resistance, don't, don't push or go over beyond anyone's free will, just go with them. And, but in, in, the, in the office, I'd have these conversations. And one of the, one of the administrators, Nikki, um, every so often, I didn't even have huge, deep conversations with her, but every so often, I would tell her the gospel. Out of the blue, this is like, I finished working there in 2003 and went full-time in the ministry in 2003. This is like years later. A couple of years ago, I got a phone call out of the blue from Nikki. And he said, Peter, I, I'm, I'm really looking for answers. I'm really looking for God. Um, what, what can I do? And so I told her the gospel over the phone. I got one of our female pastors to go visit, and she got saved, baptized. She's part of a church out in, out in uh, West Lothian there. And 
following Jesus, but it was through a seed that was sown when I worked back in the 2000s. On the way, just I was in Namibia a couple of weeks ago with some of the churches we're working with, and on the way back, um, I was flying from, um, I, I was going from a hotel to Windhoek Airport, and I, I had a taxi driver pick me up, and you know, my prayers off, and Lord, please give me an opportunity. And I got into the, this taxi with the guy called Ramson. He was the driver. And lovely guy in his 60s, he starts just pouring out his life and telling me his whole life story. And in the story, he told, he, he, by this point, knew I was a pastor. He told me that he'd actually become a Christian years and years ago. He'd become a Christian. But he said that he'd ended up, he fought, decided to follow Jesus, but then he'd fallen away he'd end up working as a security guard under such intense, I don't know what type of security he was in, but he said the pressure was so much he ended up drinking. And through drinking, I lost my wife, I lost my children, I lost my job, I lost my house, I was destitute. And he said, a year ago, I became sober and I've managed to stay sober since. And in the last six months, I've, I've got this taxi job. So this, this was his story he was telling me. So I was able to, I, was, I told him again the gospel, I told him again about Jesus' kindness and his saving power. And I also said that God took you seriously all those years ago when you, you put your faith in him. And then into my mind came this story, uh, I've sometimes used it in my preaching, but I used it with Ramzan. I said that when my son was little, my, Michael's now 19, but when he was really little, I would hold his hands, we were walking along the road together, and I would, I would have him tight, and I knew, you know, if he stumbled, got him. You know, if, if, if he slipped off the curb, I've got him. Or if a gust of wind came, I've got him. Now, he probably thought, I've got dad. <laughs> oh, I've got dad here. But the reality is, yeah, he's kind of got me, but really, I've got him. And I said this to Ramzan in the car. I said, you know, Ramzan, when you've placed your life in God's hands, God's got you, and he's never going to let go of you. And at this point, he starts crying. And he said to me, Every morning, I start my day with a prayer. I raise my right hand to God, and I say, God, I cannot do life without you. Please, would you hold my hand and help me today? Please, God. <laughs> so he prayed every day. I had no idea. And I wouldn't usually share that story with people. But it's like, wow, God. Now, that, that, that wasn't a conversion moment, but that was, that was a reaffirming of someone who had been away from God, affirming that they're God's. But take every opportunity you can to share tell people about Jesus. Don't force it in people's throats. As I said earlier, if you feel any resistance, just you, you, you be the one to backpedal. You change the subject. Make it easy for them. Because, by the way, if you don't do that, they will avoid you next time. If you take advantage beyond their will and you push them beyond what they want, then the next time you have a conversation, they will avoid you. If, however, you shut the conversation down and make it easy for them, then the next time they will actually look for you and they will raise it with you because they know you're safe with this conversation. So pray, care, share. Tell the gospel. Get that seed out there. And that's the power of God to salvation. Okay, so we're on this discipleship journey, remember? Uh, we've, they're gonna, we kind of we meander there. Uh, thanks, J. John. Uh, let's go back to Steve Murrell. So four steps of making disciples. Number one is go. Step one in making disciples is evangelism. The, start, the biblical starting point of discipleship is evangelism. Remember, if you try and separate the Siamese twins of evangelism and discipleship, you effectively kill them both. The starting point of discipleship is evangelism. And that's not just for the evangelists. That's for all of us. And by the way, leaders, can I encourage, I provoke you leaders, I provoke you, right? You've got to set an example. If you want to have evangelistic churches, the leaders have got to share your stories of how you've, I'm not an evangelist. But I often evangelize and I share those stories with my church because I want them to know that's what Christianity should look like. Because I, 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 I can't have them evangelize if I'm not doing it. So if you're a small group leader, you, you be the person who shares your faith and then tell the stories of what happens with you. Even if they're undramatic stories, that's actually cool because people can relate to the undramatic stories. We have a lot of them, all right? I've got lots of them too. So share your stories and set the example. So point number two, grounds. Say grounds. That was overwhelming. Thanks, folks. <laughs> I mean, you called new ground as well. I mean, what are the chances? So, say grounds. Oh, that was so much better. Establish new believers in biblical foundations. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
The goal is to get every believer on good foundations, solid foundations. Now, Jesus told this, um, this story recorded in Matthew 7 of the, the, the wise and the foolish builders. He says, the person who hears my words and puts it into practice is like the wise man who built their house on a rock. The storms came, the winds came and blew against that house, and it didn't move because it was, it was built on a rock. He said, the, he said, those who hears my, hear my words and don't put them into practice are, are like the foolish man who built their house on the sands. And when the same waves and winds and storms blew and beat against that house, it fell because it's, it didn't have a foundation. Its house was on the sand. So Jesus told this story. And he, here's the thing. Storms are coming. I mean, that's the reality. Now, I, I have here a waterproof watch. Now, it's not a water-free watch. In other words, it will get wet, all right? It's not like it's waterproof, it won't ever get wet. No, no, it's not water-free, it's waterproof. It, it will still get wet. It's just the, the wetness won't get on the inside because it's waterproof. And what, we, we can't promise people storm-free lives. You know, <laughs> you're going to get the storms. Notice the wise man and the foolish man both got the storms. So being wise doesn't, isn't like your way to protect you from storms. Storms are a-coming. But we do hope that we can help people have storm-proof lives. That's the key. They won't have storm-free lives, but they'll have storm-proof lives. And how do you make people have storm-proof lives? Get them built on solid foundations. Storms are a-coming. You have someone who comes to faith in Jesus, I'm guaranteeing you storms are a-coming. In fact, the devil will make sure of it that storms are a-coming. You know, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, he said, when persecution arises because of the word. He says, it's talking talk about the, 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 the pressures that people face as soon as they get that seed in their lives. Persecution comes because of the seed. It's, isn't it interesting? Maybe you remember this in your own life. When you came to faith, was it not like all hell broke loose in your life? Can anyone relate to that? Did it, was, was it not like everything went against you? Things just fell apart. Stuff happens. Opposition came your way. I'm telling you, the devil doesn't like it. The idea that you would somehow have accepted that seed of the gospel, he'll do everything he can to try and get you off that seed and uproot that seed in its infancy from your life. And so the devil will do that. Storm, he will make sure storms come your way. So as soon as someone comes to faith, you need to do everything you can to get them established on good foundations so that when the storm comes, they're absolutely solid. Now, what are the good foundations? Well, maybe you can help me with that. Je Jesus gives us a few of them in the verses. Go make disciples of all nations. What's the next thing he says? Baptizing them. And some people say, oh no, wait, 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 let's, wait, let's see if they're really saved. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, that's the worst thing you can do. Because cause do you don't realize that baptism is actually about cutting off the devil's power, all right? And that's what they need to help them keep going in this new faith. It's like the, it's like the Israelites, they're free from slavery in Egypt, and they're at the edge of the, 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 the Red Sea. Egypt, the devil, Pharaoh and his armies are coming after them. I mean, Pharaoh didn't say, well, let's, we'll not worry about them just now. We'll just, we'll just wait and see if you're really free. You know, no, get them through the water. You need a barrier between them and the past. You need to bury that devil in the water. So, baptize them as soon as you can. You know, I've said to our, I've said to our leaders in, in City on the Hill, now, in the New Testament, people got saved and baptized the same day. Oftentimes, in Western world Christianity, people get, become Christians, and it's like, sometimes in that, somewhere within that decade. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You know, so, so it's, it's like months or years after the conversion they get, okay? And I, hey, I'm blaming myself as well. But in the New Testament, it's like minutes. In the Western world, it's months or years. So I've said to our leaders in City and Hill, can we gun for days? Or at worst, weeks? And so we've had to say, well, can we not do the fancy baptism service where all the people bring their friends? Do you know what? I would rather get them baptized quicker and have a less fancy baptism service than that person's an effective witness. And that will bring more people to Jesus. 
So I, I, I've just said to our guys, listen, let's, let's, let's get it down to maybe not New Testament, because that's a bit too pushy. Well, maybe, hey, let's, why not? Why not minutes, right? But at least let's get down to days, and if not weeks. And, uh, and, and that's what we're gunning for. So they've got them baptized because storms are coming. Give me another foundation. What, what, what else did Jesus say? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Teaching them. So what would you teach a new believer? Now, I know you teach mature believers. What, what, what are the essential things that they need to get that's going to help them when the storms come? Throw out some things that they need to know. Teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. That's huge, isn't it? I was chatting to a guy, Leon, from the States on Thursday, and he said when he trains church planters, he trains them to lead people to Christ. And he said, we take 20 to 30 minutes to lead someone to Christ. And I thought, that's strange. And I said, so what, what do you teach them in that moment? He said, well, we tell them to, as they've come and put their faith in Jesus, we ask, get them to say, ask, can you ask God now, is there anything you need to repent of? So in that moment, you're teaching them to hear God, the new convert. And then, and if God says, yeah, repent of this, then, then at that point, they'll just bring this, just like in Ephesus, they brought the scrolls and burned them. So they, they, they bring this repentance. So that's incredible. I've never heard of that before. They train them to take 20 to 30 minutes to help that person come to faith. Pretty thorough, eh? I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm learning that, that one as well. But absolutely right, guy. Absolutely right. So teach them to obey. That's linked with repentance, isn't it? So you want someone to have a good start. Like, listen, let's repent. Let's, let's, let's start strong. Not, not that you're going to be perfect, but let's repent. So repentance. Anything else you'd want to teach a new convert when they're... How to share their faith, absolutely, yeah. How to read the Bible? What would you recommend? Start Genesis just, and just go for it? Anyone, anything that's a good idea? How many people think they would get far beyond Leviticus? <laughs> it was going great until, what? Okay, so where would you tell them to start reading the Bible? Hey, John 3.16. Get them in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Get them to start, and then go to Acts. And read Psalms and Proverbs alongside it, like you kind of a little side order. You know, but just get them into the Bible. That's, that's going to be the best thing you could do for them. Tell them quality more than quantity. You don't need to read chapters and chapters. Read a chapter a day or something like that. Get them in a small group because they need community. So these, now whose responsibility is it to tell this to the new convert? Well, he told disciples to go and make disciples. Whose responsibility is it to baptize people? You know, every single one of you leaders in this room can baptize people. And I'm, not, I'm not saying there might be ways of doing it in your church, which, you know, hey, go with the baptism service and let the elders do it, no problem. But I'm sure the elders have no problem with you baptizing people as well. Come with your stories, come with your converts that you've baptized that week. <laughs> or or if, if someone's got saved and they, and they want to get baptized, maybe I'm breaking some rules here, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you could baptize people as a small group. If someone come, came, came to Christ, and why wait till the Sunday? Go baptize them if you've got a big enough bath or a river baptize, or a canal baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to be a pastor or an elder. You need to be a, a disciple to baptize disciples. But all of you can baptize. And all of us have a responsibility to teach them repentance and obedience and sharing the gospel and reading their Bibles. And so, so let's make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them. And then thirdly, grow. So we've got go with the gospel uh, we've got grounds, establishing new believers in biblical foundations. And then thirdly, you've got grow, which is develop maturity through equipping and mobilizing. Okay. And this is, I guess, a little bit linked to teaching them to obey. Again, this is a bit different type of teaching this time. This is to do with taking them on in maturity. Okay, let me take you to a famous passage. You guys will be very familiar with this wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11, 12, and 13. Say 11, 12, and 13. Okay, Hebrews 4, verse 11. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, let's call them the mentors. Okay, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints to the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so who's doing the ministry? The saints. So the mentors are equipping the saints to do the ministry. So who are the ministers? Well, the saints. 
So verse 12 is the ministers. Verse 11 is the mentors. Verse 12 is the ministers, God's people. And verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, this is maturity. Say maturity. So you've got verse 11, the mentors. Verse 12, you've got the ministers. And verse 13, you've got maturity. And do you know what our problem is? And this is a huge problem in Western world discipleship, is we can't count, right? The verses go 11, 12, 13, but what we do is we go 11, 13, 12. That's, that's how we do leadership, 11, 13, 12. So what we do is we say, you've got the mentors, and you wait for people to be mature, and then you release them into ministry. That's 11, 13, 12. The verses go 11, 12, 13. It's the mentors, and then they release people into ministry, and the outcome is maturity. Now, when I go back and I think about my journey, earlier I was saying I started the church when I was 21. I mean, I tell you what, it really helped my Christian faith. No, if you, if you want to grow as a Christian, I recommend starting a church, because you have no option. I mean, seriously, like, I've got to stay ahead of these guys here. I'm leading these people. I've got to know a little bit more of the Bible than they have, or I've got to be praying more than they're praying, right? There's nothing like taking on responsibility than to cause you to grow. Now, if I was to go around the room and ask you, when did you grow most in your faith? And you were to compare sitting in a classroom learning information compared to the day you took on a small group or the day you planted a church or the day they took a risk with you and you started that youth ministry. I guarantee you, you grew more in your faith by people taking a risk with you than you did just by sitting in a classroom learning more stuff. Now, you got the mentors, you release people to minister, and the outcome is maturity. Now, I know some of you are sitting here thinking, all right, is that not slightly risky? And I agree with you, it is risky. But I think Jesus did this. Jesus took risks with people. I mean, you look at his disciples. So you get Peter, he was impulsive. I mean, he denied Jesus at one point. He had John and his brother. They wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. You know, they haven't really got the gospel of grace there, had they? You get Matthew, he'd been a tax collector. Thomas doubted. Simon was a zealot. I mean, that's like a, a, a political activist, quite extreme activist. I mean, one of the examples we had earlier in our conversations was the man who had been demon-possessed at the tombs. This is the person of peace conversation we had. And this guy has had 3,000 demons. Jesus has cast the demons out. They go into 3,000 pigs. So I'm guessing it's 3,000 demons, one for each pig. And there's a lot of demons to be demon-possessed with, right? I think one would be enough. This guy was demon-possessed by 3,000 demons. And then he said, Jesus, let me come with you. And Jesus said, no, this is what he said, Matthew 5, 19 go to your people and report to them the great things the Lord has done for you and how God has had mercy on you. And he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So one minute, this guy's had 3,000 demons, and the next minute, he's given evangelistic responsibility for a region. <laughs> it's not, is anyone else seeing the problem here? <laughs> you think, Jesus, you know, don't let him anywhere in your axis. You know? <laughs> Seriously, is this guy safe? Really? Is that not slightly risky, Jesus? I mean, yeah, I mean, there might not be some residual issues in the guy. Like a few nervous twitches. Don't let him, don't let him around sharp objects. And, yeah, seriously, Jesus, is this guy safe? How risky is that? Incredible. And um, but Jesus did this. Jesus took a risk with this guy. You think, That's an incredible guy to take a risk with. And you look at our lives and you think, well, God took. God took risks with us, but also leaders took risks with us. We wouldn't be in our leadership role if people hadn't taken risks with us. And so I, I agree, if they're an axe murderer, don't let them look after a small group. I'm completely with you in that. But assuming that they've, they've had a genuine conversion experience, they might be rough at the edges, and, and, but if they're teachable and accountable and they're willing to work with leadership, then take risks with people. Because actually, it will be the making of them. It will be the very thing that, that will cause them to grow, because it's the very thing that causes you and I to grow. And so, growing, it, it comes through releasing people to minister. So, grow by uh, develop people through maturing to maturity. 
through equipping them and mobilizing them. Equipping them might be teaching, but it's almost teaching as you're doing it, and they're growing in that way. And then number four, finally, go. So Jesus told gospel, uh, you ground people, you grow people, and you send them out to go. Commission disciples to make more disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And the, and the last thing Jesus commanded us to do was go and make disciples. So if, if you want a wee picture that helps you, here's the wee circle. Uh, you've got gospel, share the gospel. And then having shared the gospel, people come to faith, you ground them. Establish new believers on biblical foundations. Teach them to read their Bibles. Get them baptized in water. Pray for them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was in the, right in the early stages of someone's conversion experience. And then grow. Help develop them. And don't just develop them in a classroom with more information, but take risks with them. Let them carry responsibility. Jesus sent them out in twos to preach. None of them felt ready. Jesus took, took risks and took, and, and, and took steps with people so that they could grow and then you commission them to then, then go. And, and Jesus says, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to be everything I've commanded you. And he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't it interesting? After he said, and surely I can be with you always to the very end. What's the next thing he did? He left them. You know, like, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. Oh, off he goes. He left them. <laughs> we just said you were going to leave us. Then you just did that floating away thing. Well, what was he meaning? Well, after his, his ascension triggered an outpouring. So he says, um, you know, he, the Holy Spirit hasn't come because that, Jesus hasn't been glorified. So now he's glorified, the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit's poured out in Pentecost. And so Jesus is with us, absolutely. But he's not just with us, with us. He's with us, with us. He's in us by his Spirit. So here's us. I mean, how can we fail? The one with all authority in heaven and earth has commissioned us into his earth. He could have told us to do anything, but he's told us to go make disciples. It's guaranteed to succeed because the one with all authority has commissioned us. And not only has the one with all authority commissioned us, the one with all authority has taken up residence within us. So his Holy Spirit is the one who's got the good ideas, not us. He's got the power to change the lives that we can't change. He's got the solutions to problems we can't solve. And he's promised to be with us. And we want to work sensitively with him on that adventure of making disciples. So I, I guess what we want to do is we want to commit afresh to making disciples. And that's not for the senior leaders in a church. That's for every leader in a church. And indeed, that's for every member in a church. Let's get to the place where we're baptizing people. We're all baptizing people. And we're all winning people to Jesus. We're all sharing our faith. Not just the, the out-and-out evangelists, but they're, provo they're provoking us to be more like that. Let's lead in these ways. Because uh, I think this is New Testament Christianity. All right. Why, why don't we, I'll pray, and then it might be good to... When do we want to go to? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, so it would be great to, I'll just lead us in a prayer, but then it would be good to have specifically praying in groups and responding in groups and just kind of anchoring some of these truths. And I realize it's probably a lot of information, so much information to digest. And it's, it's important we take time to digest everything and respond to it before God. So Father, really grateful for this great commission. Jesus, thank you. You commissioned us to go and make disciples. And so right now, as leaders, we make a decision today. And our decision is that we want to be disciples who make disciples. In fact, we're committing to that, Lord. Lord, help us to become better at being disciples who make disciples. I pray our churches will be churches that make disciples who make disciples. Lord, help us to get closer and closer to the New Testament model. Help us to be wise and yet not risk-averse. Help us to be bold with our faith. Help us to help anchor new believers. I pray, give us more courage to step out and pray for new believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray in our small groups, in our ministries, in our churches, in our church plants, that we will make disciples who make disciples. So just in the presence of God, just make a fresh commitment just now, just between you and God, make a fresh commitment to being a disciple who makes disciples and ask him to help you with that. I'll give you a moment just to do that. So come Holy Spirit, empower us to be that. Come Holy Spirit, welcome in this room. Fill us afresh with your power. Fill us afresh with boldness. Oh God, we ask you, give us more opportunities to tell people about you. Lord God, we're asking for uh, more incredible turnarounds, testimonies of souls being saved. Lord, it can be dramatic or it can be very undramatic. We don't mind. We just ask that we would see that. We'd see new birth growth in our churches, in our lives, through our lives. Pray each one of us would have the privilege, Lord, in our ministry of baptizing someone. I pray each one of us in the room would have the opportunity to baptize one or several people. And Lord, give us all the opportunity to lead people to Jesus and help them get established in this new life. Lord, I pray this. Anoint us, come Holy Spirit, anoint us and fill us with your power. Move among us now as we minister. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God.